0: I didn't get my numbers correctly, my dates mixed up, and I did not prorate the rent correctly, and it cost the company about $3,000 that we were short.
1: flipping projects possible all across the country if you don't know about patch of land then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower. Um, You're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's a success. Uh, They've got something... Really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They got answers too. All the answers to those those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, i check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. If you don't know about the show, then let me quickly tell you, we get straight to the good stuff on your real estate investing career. With every episode, I interview a best ever guest and he or she gives us their best real estate investing advice ever, tells us what they're up to, and uh, gives us some insights that we can apply to our business and uh, in most cases is inspirational. And I'm confident that we're going to check all those boxes on today's episode. I've interviewed Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many others. And today I have with us Juan Maldonado. Did, I, did how, how did I do on that last name, Juan?
0: You did pretty well, Joe.
1: <laughs> he told me before the show there's a Spanish way of saying it and there's a nine. And what would you say I did on that one?
0: No, you did very well. You did very well. Yep. The the Spanish version is maldonado. Uh, in English, it's maldonado because we carry the O's a little bit longer. But uh, okay. but yeah, you did perfect.
1: Maldonado. There we go. Now I'm starting to sound Italian, aren't I? One <laughs> <laughs> has acquired 560 apartments and closed on over 26 million dollars worth of real estate, primarily focused on multifamily. Raised over $7.5 million on 10 transactions. And if that wasn't impressive enough, here's one thing that I really want to dig in with Juan on. Eight out of the 10 deals um, were sourced by cold calling. And two of them were broker relations. So we need to get the insider scoop on this cold calling thing where they're closing on some major level transactions on multifamily stuff. And non-real estate related, but certainly interesting. Your dog has lived on, what, three continents?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yep. South America, Central America, and North America.
1: Wow. What's your puppy dog's name? Ronnie. Ronnie. Yeah. And is that the English or Spanish version?
0: English only for him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Juan, this is going to be a, a great episode, and I'm really looking forward to digging in with you. So can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Yeah, definitely, Joe. And it, you know, it's a pleasure to be here with you and, and the Best Ever listeners as well. So my real estate background is actually very short. I actually started working in real estate about two years and eight months ago. So I'm very new. Prior to that, I had zero real estate experience. I was actually living with my wife in, in Colombia, South America. That's where I'm from. And we had lived there for three years. And she, uh, my wife mentioned that she wanted to come back to the U.S. At that point is when I started thinking about what can I do in order to have a little bit more freedom and be able to visit Columbia fairly regularly. You know, my, my heart's still there, and, and I definitely, uh, home calls me a lot. So I just started reading, and I actually picked up a book, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and, and he was talking about passive income, and it just hit me. And I'm like, you know what? Real estate is what I need to do. So I started reading as much as I could on real estate, and that was the point when I actually put my resume on uh, CareerBuilder or Monster.com, the company president and, and uh, Jason Cohen, uh, he picked it up and, and he uh, interviewed me and um, it was fantastic. So we focus exclusively in multifamily. Now we're getting into the larger properties. However, uh, Jason started buying properties about 10 years ago, buying duplexes, five units, eight units, whereas now we're looking at you know 80 units or larger. So it's a little bit different, but Kind of to your point, what really separates us apart is is how we find the deals
1: yeah, yeah it's very interesting that out of the ten transactions or at least ten transactions that you listed, eight of the ten were done by cold cutting. What do you doing there tell us the whole process
0: yeah so this is really just uh, you know Jason uh, he after college he started working for a company out in Philadelphia and they basically taught him the the method so. Our acquisition strategy is certainly not something that we invented or created, and, and you know it's very rudimentary, uh, really. But what I do think separates us apart is just the way that we follow up and the way that we execute the plan. One of the reasons why Jason, I think, hired me without zero real estate experience is the fact that he, on my resume, I had a lot of cold calling and a lot of sales experience. So, um, you know, sometimes getting somebody to hop on the phone for the first time, they may be nervous, they may be a little bit shy. But if you can get over that, you can really do a lot of things. And so you mentioned uh, those 10 deals, those are the ones that I've personally done, uh, helped find and acquire since I started working. But I think overall, our company, we've done probably closer to 80 or 90 deals. And I would think that at least on the buying side, only about four of those have had any type of broker relationship. It's not that we don't like using brokers at all. The reality is, you know, if you're a best ever listener and you're looking to get traction in your marketplace and and you are, for lack of a better term, an unknown to to a broker, well, he's going to want to give the best deals to the people that he knows that will close the deal that will close quickly. And so for us... You know, it's important that we are looking for our own deals because it allows you two things. One, you're able to negotiate terms a little bit easier when it's not represented by the broker. Because, I mean, obviously, you know, a broker, they only get paid when a transaction closes. So they want very good terms, very tight terms for the buyer, possibly even hard money uh, down on day one so that the buyer has a little bit more at risk. Whereas if you're dealing with the seller directly, maybe they're not as sophisticated or maybe they're not as educated, but also it allows you to see deals that you maybe will not see, especially, you know, in the competitive marketplace today in multifamily, if a deal hits the market, it's probably uh, very sure that there's been other groups that have already looked at that deal and they've passed on it for whatever reason. And so for groups that are new if you're not finding your own deal, it could be difficult to, to get a wind of these larger multifamily deals. So um, that that's kind of what we do.
1: All right. Well, you've sold me on the reasons why you need it. Let's get into the specifics of how you do it. You said it, it might have to do with the follow up and the execution of the plan. So walk us through from start to finish. How do you get the seller on the phone?
0: Sure, sure, sure. So again, the strategy is very basic. We start, uh, you know, maybe you've heard the term driving for dollars. At least when we were looking for the smaller deals, we used to do a lot of that because there's not large databases. And all that driving for dollars is, is just picking an area that you're interested in. You could be as macro as a city. You could be as micro as a neighborhood. And then, you know, you go, you go around driving the streets that you're interested in and just making notes. OK, uh, so this house has a tarp over the roof. You know, you're trying to write down any inclination that you feel that is a good opportunity. And typically we look for properties that are in some type of distress situation. Now that we're looking at larger multifamily deals, there's a lot of databases out there. So what we'll do is, you know, we'll identify the property that we're interested in. And then we go ahead and we personally, we use a, a company called LexisNexis. There's other companies uh, I've heard of, LTO, which are more or less skip tracing and so very quickly, I can find a home number, even cell phones for probably anyone. And so what we do is we give them a call. Uh, we have you know a script which is very, very basic, uh, but it's also very true. And I think that you know, in essence, when you're when you're setting up your cold calling script, you have to say something that makes sense to you. When you're talking to a potential seller, the last thing that you want to do is get caught up in a lie because you created this convoluted story that you can't even track yourself. So, you know, ours is uh, is very simple and it's very true. So, I'm just giving you an example. Hey, Joe, my name's Juan Maldonado. I'm calling in regards to your property at 123 Main Street.
1: Hey, Juan, how's it going?
0: Good, thank you. The reason for my call, I wanted to see if there would be any interest in, in selling the property. You know, at that point, most people will say, well, no, or, or maybe. And, you know, I, I work for a group of investors. They were in the neighborhood and they asked me specifically to reach out to you and they wanted to know if there would be any interest in selling. And at this point, you know, you've kind of established who you are, the reason why you're calling. And the people are going to tell you three things. They're either going to go into uh, a conversation of why they won't sell, which at that point, you know, after a few calls, you'll kind of refine you know, overcoming your objections. If you're in sales, you always hear the term overcoming your objections. Or they'll say no, which at that point, you'll want to try to find out a little bit more information. Or best case scenario is that, yeah, they'll, they'll say yeah. And you know, it, this is a different call. So if you've ever done a sales call, it's very different because in a sales call, you're trying to take money from the buyer because you're you're selling a product or a service. Here, you're kind of offering to give them money. so So it's it's a little bit easier call. So if there's any of the best ever listeners are afraid of making this call, um, this is much easier than than what I used to do. When I was 16 years old in high school, I got my first job um, and I was calling 90 day delinquent for a company called Finger Hut. So I was calling people that had not paid anything for 90 days at the time I was 16. So I mean, Oh my gosh. Very quickly, I grew some, (laughs) some tough skin and I was able to deal with you know, very difficult people on the phone. So the calls that, that you'll make are, are very simple in nature.
1: Wow. Yeah. And when you're when you're calling them, you mentioned overcoming objections. What are some things that you do or say to overcome those objections that commonly come up?
0: Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, you know, a, a really quick one is, well, I'm not interested. Uh, this is for my family. And, and so, Okay. So then you know that they're, they're more or less looking to buy and hold the property. And so you can go two ways. You can, you can kind of think, okay, is this person holding it because this is kind of all that they do and it's kind of a job or, and they like the property management aspect of things. And so you ask them, you're like, oh yeah. So do you like property management? And then they'll say, you know, yes or no. If they say no, then you can say, well, you know, what if we structured this transaction in a way where you could make some income, but you don't have to do the day-to-day management? And for somebody who likes the money from real estate but is not really interested in the management, that could be very interesting. And how do you structure that deal? You know, you could do a, a first mortgage if the property's free and clear, or you could also set it up through a second mortgage. I mean, there's many ways to, to set up a deal, but the reality is that you're trying to find Trigger points or things that will get the potential seller to kind of see the benefits of selling the property because at, at the end of the day that's your goal you want to buy the property and so you got to find the th- the things that are holding them back and so so that you could you could do a, go into the management aspect of things if that's something that maybe they don't like or let's say maybe if it's uh, if it's a capital gains tax situation. Um, you know, at that point, you could ask him more information, and sometimes they'll tell you. Uh, you know, Juan, I'm not looking to sell now, but I will be selling in six months. Well, that's great. I mean, you have a six month head start on anybody in the marketplace.
1: You started out by saying driving for dollars, which I find really interesting. That you didn't start out by saying direct mail. Do you all do anything other than driving for dollars?
0: Yeah. So basically, the scenario and, and what we typically like to do on a call is is three things, and these are, these are kind of the objectives that we try to do. Is we really like to, and the number one is get income and expenses because from there we can do a pro forma and we can make an offer. That's that's kind of your number one
1: goal. You're talking about on a, once you're speaking to them.
0: Yeah. Once you're talking. Okay. To them, once you get on the call, that's your ultimate goal. Is you want to be able to get income and expenses so that you can make a purchase or so you can make them an offer without knowing you know the the financials of a property it's impossible to really do anything and then secondly you want to build some sort of rapport that way when you call them back in 6 months and 9 months you know they'll remember you whatever that may be you know you'll you'll start talking to people about many different things if they like cars It'd probably be good to start talking to them about cars. If, if they like talking about properties, then you can talk to them about real estate. Just try to find something that where you can connect with them. And then finally, kind of your direct mail pieces. We will go ahead and mail them a letter, and all it says is, you know, uh, Joe, thank you for your time on X and X day when we spoke. As mentioned, I work for you know Joco Partners. I am responsible for their expansion in the central Texas market or wherever you may be and then you know I will follow up with you whenever you told them that you'd follow up with and and we look forward to speaking with you soon so that way at least they have your information handy as well and so next time that you call you also have an intro because you can say hey Joe I, re- I send you that letter and most people will remember a letter so you've already established kind of two points of contact one the initial call, to the letter, and hopefully by that time, they'll remember who you are.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Whenever I asked that question, I was referring to getting the conversation, but you send the follow-up letter afterwards as a way to kind of solidify and as a reminder. Do you find deals, so do you get on calls with sellers through any other method, any other marketing method than driving for dollars?
0: No, no. Again, um, now that we're looking for the larger properties, there's a lot of statistical analysis data out there. So we typically look for deals that are under rented and have a high vacancy. But but no. And I mean, just let me give you an idea that the largest property that we've closed to date was one hundred forty eight units. And we found this property because while we were doing the market study for for the first property that we bought in, in that city, this property had the highest vacancy and it had one of the lowest rents per square foot, which for me are kind of the two biggest red flags when you're kind of just looking through data. So I, I looked up the property. I looked up the owner
1: real quick. Where are you finding this information?
0: The property owner?
1: No, no. The highest, you said highest vacancy, lowest square. Cause oh, if you're oh. not driving, if you're not, what I'm trying to figure out is in addition to driving around yep. for dollars, where are you getting these leads from?
0: So again, I'm strictly multifamily. So for multifamily, there's many different services. Um, There's, you know, here in Central Texas, Austin Investor Interest. They focus specifically on 60 units or more, and they'll give you all of the information that you want. How much rents are going, the occupancy, the vacancy, when was the property built, what type of amenities it has, has it been renovated? I mean, everything. There's also another one called Pierce Iceland. There's CoStar, which is probably the most well-known. So, so the, the, the information is readily available. Most of those you do have to pay a subscription. So, you know, again, we Jason and and I, we, we he amassed a portfolio of about six hundred or uh, six hundred units without paying for any type of information, just by simply driving around and knowing your market. Wow. So it can be done without subscribing to any of these services. However, now that we're looking for these larger properties, it's tough to drive, you know, street by street looking for an 80 unit property because well, they're not as close together as let's say if you drive a street of full of duplexes if what you're looking to do is buy a duplex. Sure. Yeah, so so that's kind of how that works.
1: With your growth in the company, how have you seen the deal structure change? From when you first started working with the company to now, uh, in terms of financing, in terms of creative financing, debt, equity—just what are a couple of things that you've seen change as the company's grown?
0: Sure. So uh, first, you know, in 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 Pennsylvania, when I started working with the, with a company in Pennsylvania, we used to go to just a local bank, and basically all the transactions were were done through them. Now that we're looking for larger properties, we are still going to local banks, but we're also starting to reach out to national uh, lenders just because when, when you start getting to a little bit larger purchase prices, some of the banks, depending how big or small they are, they kind of hit their limits and so you start looking. Um, and then up in Pennsylvania really, uh, we had never started working and syndicating our deals. Um, and, and you know by what I mean by syndication is basically uh, you know putting a group of investors together, so that they can purchase a larger property. Um, so, you know, for, for one person coming up with a million dollar down payment may be prohibitive. However, you can pool, you know, number of people to be able to come up to that sum. And so we, we started doing that recently. And and so that's, that's been a change as well. Um, the structures differently, you know, it kind of goes back to the saying, what would you rather own a hundred percent of one or 10% of a hundred type of thing? So when you start syndicating your deals, you're no longer the sole proprietor. Now you have partners, which, you know, depending on on your personality type, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. But it certainly does allow you to purchase uh, more property than than you could by yourself.
1: And you're based in Austin, Texas, right?
0: Yep. So Jason and myself, we moved to Austin, Texas about a year ago. Um, We really like some of the demographics and some of the indicators that, that we like, mainly job growth, population growth in the Central Texas markets of Austin, uh, San Antonio. So yeah, right now we're, we're more or less strictly focusing on, on Central Texas and then Pittsburgh as well.
1: And that was my follow-up question. How do you choose Central Texas and Pittsburgh? I've never heard those two markets and only those two markets in the same sentence in terms of an investment strategy sure
0: sure sure so again because of our strategy because it's so micro again I mean like like I mentioned two of the deals that we've done they were through broker uh, the brokers brought him to us and, and so we, we certainly do want to connect with brokers and we want to keep a good relationship with the brokers the fact is that since we're the new boys in the, in, in town they would much rather work with other buyers that maybe they feel are more qualified or that just that they've done business with in the past. Uh, so in that regard, we're very micro. So, you know, there's groups that purchase in different States. We, we don't. And, and when you're using the strategy that, that we used in Pittsburgh, the better that you know the marketplace, the more dangerous that you can be. Because when you're talking to the property owner, You know, you can reference streets, you can reference properties, uh, you know, you can talk to them about their neighbor. Oh, yeah, I really like the way that you painted your apartment blue. You know, if you are looking for any multifamily property in the whole country, then it's tough to become that specific. As far as how we found the markets that we invest in, uh, you know, the company that Pittsburgh, uh, that Jason started with, they asked him to go to Pittsburgh. He liked the city. He thought it was a great city to invest in. When they asked him to move back to Philadelphia, he, he thought that Pittsburgh was the city that he wanted to start investing in personally. So he decided to stay. Jason, he grew up in uh, South Texas. He, he he went to school at UT here in Austin. So he has family and friends. And, and when we really started analyzing potential markets, we really liked what Central Texas had to offer. And, and I mean, honestly, the fact that Jason also had connections to, to Austin made a big difference because this is kind of more or less where he also wanted to live. So that was easy.
1: What percentage would you say, if your whole portfolio, what percentage is in Texas versus Pennsylvania?
0: Um, I would guess uh, 30% Texas, 70% Pittsburgh.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: That'll change. I mean, I do think it'll be more more Texas-heavy pretty soon here. But uh, but for now, that's kind of where it is.
1: Juan, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: I, I think just that. Just find your own deal. Don't rely solely on what you see on the MLS and the
1: brokers. Love it. It's fascinating to me, the eight out of the 10 deals. Out of those eight deals that were done through cold calls, what's the largest deal within those eight? How many units?
0: The 148 unit deal.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So from that, I mean, we've gotten 148 units, 72 units, 47 units. So I mean, yeah, right now I'm working on a 1,200 unit portfolio that should be a really big deal, like almost $100 million. And that's been through cold calls.
1: Through cold calls. Help me understand that one.
0: Same thing. It's just, uh, it's just a seller. He has a couple of properties uh, that we've identified that we're interested in and basically just found him, called him. And, and that's when he said, if I buy, if I sell one, I'd have to sell all. And we said, okay. The other thing is when you're not dealing with a broker, you, you kind of have to be a little bit more patient because you have to do everything in the transaction, quite honestly. you know, Typically when you find a deal on the MLS, or typically when you find a deal coming through a broker, they've already done a lot of the legwork. They've already brought you know, they've already convinced the seller that it's a good time to sell. They've already got all of the financials for you. When you're dealing with the seller directly, first you have to convince him that selling is a good idea. Then you have to convince him that selling to you is a good idea. Then you have to convince him on the sales price. You know, you have to agree on that. Then you have to get all the information from them. So it is a lot, it is a lot of legwork. So when I say I've been working on cold calls, I could look at my notes, but I think we're up to now to 12 different calls. This has been over a two-year period. So this is certainly not a quick get-in-and-out type of strategy. But if you know that real estate investment is what you want to do, it's a great way to establish yourself and to have access to deals that you probably would never even look at.
1: And do you remember with this uh, 1,200-unit portfolio, the first property or two where you called that owner? Did you find their information through CoStar, Austin, Investor Interest? Which, what was the database that you used?
0: No, that was just driving, driving around and, and we, we then we saw a property that looked out of place for its neighborhood. And, you know, so we're value-add investors. So we try to find, you know, the ugliest house in the nicest neighborhood that we can afford. And so we do it just like a house flipper would look for a property that looks out of place in the neighborhood that's exactly the same thing that we look for and so we just found that property and and yeah called them and so it's very simple you know looking at your county website you can pretty much find out who the owner is or if it's an entity who who owns the entity and then there's in Pennsylvania for example it's free where you can look up the company and its directors at free of charge so you can find out who owns, who established any type of corporation in Pennsylvania. Here in Texas, I believe that they do charge. I'm not exactly sure. Jason, I know, has used that every once in a while. I just use LexisNexis, and that also brings you who the actual owner of the different entities is.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round one? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com com forward slash best ever. What's the best ever book you've read?
0: I think, uh, and I'm sure this has been before, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's the reason why I'm speaking with you here today.
1: Well, thank you, Robert Kiyosaki, for <laughs> writing that. Um, this, is a, this is a very valuable interview, and and so he has m- made a major ripple effect as a result of writing that book. Best ever personal growth experience and what did you learn from it?
0: It's kind of a sad personal experience, but um, my dad passed away when I was younger at the age of eight. However, that has really taught me that to take risks, that there's many worse things that can happen. So, you know, when when I hop on the phone and somebody tells me, never call me again, or or probably doesn't use that nice of language. In the grand scheme of things, it's not really that big of a deal. And so that really kind of showed me uh, what's valuable and what can be lost and what can be brought back. And so it's allowed me to be uh, a little bit more uh, riskier than, than maybe some people.
1: Best ever deal you've done?
0: I think the first deal, the, the three unit deal, or the 148 unit deal. So my first ever deal was a three unit in, in South Pittsburgh. That's great because it was very memorable as it was my first real estate transaction. The 148 unit deal is interesting because I cold called the owner for six months. I tried them at their home, at their office, at their cell phone. Finally, I got a hold of a secretary and he gave me a, a phone number in Israel, which I called. And out of the blue, this gentleman calls me and he says, hey, Juan, it's John. I want to sell. And I was like, John, I don't remember names, really. I, I remember properties. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the owner of, of this property. I want to sell. And I was like, OK. He told me the price and a year or, or not a year, uh, two days later, we were under contract.
1: Huh. And you'd never talked to him before.
0: I had never talked to him before. That was the first time I heard his voice actually was, hey, Juan, it's John. I want to sell. I was like,
1: oh, okay. Had you mailed him anything saying, hey, I missed you, but looking forward to catching up? Or were they just voicemails? No, just voicemails. So you don't mail anything unless you actually speak to the person?
0: Yeah, we, we try not to. And I mean, I, just to give you a little little side story on, on why we don't typically mail. Um, recently, you know, my wife and I were looking for a house here in Austin. And, and because what I do is find real estate, I, I just couldn't bring myself to finding one in the MLS. So I told her, I'm like, let's try doing some direct mail. So we were literally handwriting letters, um, handwriting letters in areas of town that we wanted to. I actually bought a list from uh, ListSource, I believe it is, uh, identifying properties where the owner was maybe behind on some payments. So, you know, we, we kind of narrowed down the list as much as we could. We were sending out 40 letters a week, handwritten. I would come home and write that 10 letters and it was killing me. But, you know, I'm like, you know, the, the price is bigger than... than than this. Then I talked to a wholesaler here in town and, and, and he's like, yeah, I just sent some mailers. And I'm like, oh, really? How many did you send? He says, I sent 4,000 in one week. And that kind of made me realize, wait, he sent 4,000. I sent 40. <laughs> what are my odds? And so the nice thing with a phone call is it's very direct. You know, if somebody calls your phone, they leave you a voicemail you're much more likely to, to open that and read that than if somebody sends you a, a flyer that looks like the other 10 that you have in your kitchen as well. So,
1: What happened with the house? What'd you end up doing?
0: We found a duplex.
1: <laughs> through the MLS or through those 40 handwritten notes or through some other way?
0: It was actually down the street where I currently live. We walk our dog there every day and we saw that they were starting to renovate it. And my wife, every time we went by, she's like, Juan, you need to call this. You need to call this. I'm like, I know. One weekend we, we drove by and there was a for sale sign. They must have put it up that same day. So I called the realtor right away and she said, oh yeah, just put up the sign. We're going to go to the MLS on Monday. And I said, when can I see it? And she's like, well, the owner's actually probably still there. He was going to be doing some landscaping. And I'm like, is he an older guy? Because I, I was looking at the house. And she said, yeah. So I stopped. We, My wife and I, we, look, we looked through the duplex and uh, We just made him an offer right there on the spot. We didn't get a great deal. I mean, it's Austin, Texas. So uh, the fact that we were able to keep it away from the MLS, to me, was a a good enough deal. And yeah, so we found it kind of off the MLS, I guess, even though it was going to be on the MLS a day later, kind of.
1: What are the numbers behind it?
0: Oh, I mean, that's a personal uh, residence. So we didn't really do any numbers. We just knew that if it was going to go in the MLS, it was going to at minimum be the asking price or higher. And we were going to be competing with cash buyers and I'm doing a 203 K loan on that. So it's a different loan. It's a little bit longer. I think just being able to get in there fast uh, helped us. But as far as the numbers, I mean, I, I don't expect that, you know, we're going to be making a lot of money. It's, it's kind of like your personal house, you know, you, you really don't yep. see it as an investment.
1: Best ever project you're most excited about right now.
0: I think that I think that the duplex that we're going to be doing renovations on and then yeah, that one
1: best ever way you like to give back?
0: So I actually like, I love helping fellow investors as much as I can. I love sharing them uh, as much information as I can. And then uh, the second would be, my mom started a nonprofit it's called Hands Across the World in, in Central Minnesota, where I grew up. And so whenever we could, and growing up, we used to do a lot of things in the community, specifically uh, refugees that are, that are being placed in, into the Central Minnesota community. And it's just, helping them assimilate to the American culture, which if you come from Africa and you get dropped in Minnesota, there's a bit of a shock.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Not similar weather. No,
0: it's, it's about a hundred degree change sometimes. Yes. Yeah.
1: What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far?
0: Luckily, I'm so new at this that I haven't made any huge ones. I, I do have two. One, I when we were doing the closing prorations, there was a deal that they receive the rent on a buy annual basis so I didn't get my numbers correctly my dates mixed up and I did not prorate the rent correctly and it cost the company about three thousand dollars that we were short I think if that would have been a bigger deal because I was only a small portfolio that was only three properties nine units uh, and it lost three thousand for the company just because of an oversight if that would have been a hundred forty eight unit where you're prorating much bigger numbers. It, it could have been much worse. And the other one, I think, is just maybe not feeling comfortable enough and, and pulling the trigger on some deals that we were unsure if we if we should buy. And, and looking back on it, uh, we probably should have. So those are probably the two biggest things, I think.
1: You said they're receiving rent on a biannual basis. What is that what does it mean exactly, if it's a multi-family?
0: Yeah, so, family? so this is the first, this is the only time that I've ever seen this, and we typically don't focus on student housing. These were close to the University of Pittsburgh, and, and so what they did is they would collect two large checks, one in January, the other one in August, basically for the semester. And I just didn't prorate the months correctly on the closing date, and so... Instead of having uh, the students pay monthly, they would just receive the six months up front. And, and I, that's kind of where I messed up.
1: Ah, got it. Student housing. That's the, uh, that's the wrinkle. Yeah. What's the best ever place to reach you, one?
0: So I, I think LinkedIn is a very good place. Or you could also feel free to reach me at uh, my email, jmald at jocopartners.com.
1: What a wonderfully insightful and just a refreshing conversation about how to find multifamily deals without brokers where you and your team are literally driving around in most cases for deals and looking at the area and seeing what kind of what stands out what's what doesn't look like the other and then finding the address Putting that into a database, uh, getting the number, and then making phone calls. And as you said, you've closed on eight out of the 10 deals um, that uh, you have closed on, although there have been 80 to 90 deals that your company. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. gotta be
0: a pretty, pretty high count.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so a high percentage have been through cold calls, and that includes 148 units where you were persistent in calling for six months leaving voicemails on the home, phone, office, cell phone, and then finally get a call. It says, hey Juan, it's John, I want to sell. And then you've got it under contract in two days. So this works not only for the smaller five unit properties, but also, you know, 150 units. It's it's really interesting and, and I'm glad that you kind of did that the hypothetical back and forth with us on a seller call where you find the trigger points. Whenever you get on the call, you say who you are and the reason why you're calling. And then you use your background in cold calling and just relationship building to kind of pivot from there based on where the conversation goes with overcoming objections and, and building that rapport. And you said the number one goal is to find the income and expenses, or get the income and expenses because you need that to make the offer and then also to build rapport. And then you follow up with a letter to them afterwards, thanking them for their time and uh, mentioning who you are, reminding them who you are and when you'll be following up again. What a great conversation. Very, very applicable. And I think we've got a lot of best ever listeners who have a new new way of getting deals and multifamily in particular. So thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your advice. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: Perfect. No, my pleasure, Joe. And and thank you to all the best ever listeners.